few years ago was a young preacher. If you really want to scare your pastor, you get up in front of his congregation and tell everybody to turn to Acts chapter 2. Some of you will get that. Others, not so much, but that's okay. Man, you guys are a tough crowd this morning. If you know Acts chapter 2, then you understand, if you know your Bible well, if you've been walking with God for a while, you know that Acts chapter 2 is kind of a turning point, it's a milestone, it's a significant place in the Bible, because within Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of so many things that were promised beforehand in the Old Testament, and it's also the precursor to so many things that would happen later on in Scripture and still happen today in our lives. So it's very, very important. But if you are here today and you don't know this passage very well, I want to take a moment and I want to just go through it real quick. We're not going to read every verse, but I just want to take a couple of minutes here, read through this so that everybody will understand exactly what's happening here in this passage. Check out Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. That's what we were singing about this morning. As of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And all of the Pentecostals said... Some of you are like, I'm Pentecostal. Some of you are like, I've heard weird things about Pentecostals. Some of you are like, honey, what are we? What's important is that you're a follower of Jesus, okay? <laughs> Just having some fun with you this morning. Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own Language. Look at verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocked them, saying, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Now look down at verse 36. Therefore, this is Peter speaking, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord shall call. And then finally in verse 41, and then those who received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. I would say that was a pretty important day. What do you think? 
Now what happened that day was a precursor to things that were to come. And to this day, we are still living out the benefits and the experience of what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, I want to take some time this morning. I know that when you say, hey, everybody turn to Acts 2 immediately. If you know your Bible, a lot of people are wondering, hmm, what are we about to talk about today? Well, actually, I want to talk about some very practical things that each and every one of us as the church of Jesus Christ should be putting into practice in our lives. But before we do that, I want to highlight three quick things. Because I think there's three things very important that stick out from this passage of Scripture that have happened here that we need to notice. First and foremost, we see the descending of the Holy Spirit. How many people are grateful for the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? This wasn't just the descending of the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts 1 that Jesus ascends. He goes to heaven to the right hand of the Father. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends, comes to earth, and we are infilled with the Holy Spirit as a result of the promise of Jesus and the prophecy of Joel that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. So when the Holy Spirit came, it was the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, he said, listen, I'm going to go, but it's good that I go so that the helper, who is he talking about? The Holy Spirit can come. So Jesus has gone to the Father, he's gone to heaven, but now the Holy Spirit comes. And because Jesus made that promise, the disciples, or who, what they're about to be called, the apostles, they knew that they were supposed to be looking for something. And when this came, Peter identified it. That's what Jesus promised us. Also recognize that this was the fulfillment of prophecy. I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh in the last days. Peter recognized these things. So the first important thing that we see in Acts 2 is the descending and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we see happen here that's really important is that this is the beginning of the disciples, or as they're now known, the apostles' ministry. Specifically Peter. The beginning of Peter's ministry that Jesus has called him to starts now. It kicks off today. And it happens when the, when the Holy Spirit comes and Peter recognizes. Now what's funny, because if you know your Bible, you know that Peter was always the guy who was really quick to stick his foot in his mouth. But now when the Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says people are confused and they're perplexed about what's going on. And Peter realizes that this is his moment because Jesus promised it. It's been prophesied. The Holy Spirit is here. And Peter stands up and it's his shining moment to stand there and tell these people the truth about Jesus Christ that day when the Holy Spirit descended. So Peter's ministry begins that day. That's the second significant thing. And along with the apostles' ministry. But the third thing I want to point out to you is the thing I want to focus on today. And that is the fact that in Acts chapter 2, this is also the birth of this thing that we call the church of Jesus Christ. You have to understand that at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, there is no church yet. The church was only a word or a concept or an idea that Jesus had proposed to his disciples. All the way back in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I know your name's Simon, but I call you Peter because you're a rock. And upon you, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this is the birth of the church. Jesus presented this idea. It was something they'd never heard of before. The Greek word here is the word ekklesia, the called out ones. Jesus proposed this idea, and now here we get to Acts chapter 2, and it's happening. And how do we know? Because Peter gives the appeal and says, listen, this is what Jesus promised us. And let me tell you about salvation. Let me tell you about repentance. You should be baptized. And the Bible says that that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. So in one moment, the church doesn't exist. In the next moment, there's a megachurch. Pretty crazy. Significant day. Big, big day. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your background looks like. I don't know what your church experience or maybe lack thereof church experience looks like. That's okay wherever you come from. 
But I kind of feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a pastor's grandkid. I have multiple generations that have come before me that followed Christ. They were believers. They were followers of Jesus Christ. And because of that, church was something that was just continually passed on from generation to generation. And when I grew up, church was just a regular part of life. And as a lot of people who grew up like me say, it was like I was born on Saturday and in church on Sunday. That's kind of how it was. And for many years in my own life, I never stopped and asked the question, where did this thing church come from? Where did it come from? Where did it begin? And if you really want to know the answer to that question, look no further than Acts chapter 2, because this is the story of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing that's so cool about this. We can go back to scripture and look at this and recognize that on that very day, the church was born. Here's what's so cool. 2,000 plus years later, ladies and gentlemen, here we are gathered today, the church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? After all these years, here we are still doing the same thing that they did, gathering in the name of Jesus. We don't just celebrate church as the four walls or this building. We are the church. I am the church. You are the church of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes when I look back and think, wow, the church has this long history, I have to ask myself the question, how has the church made it? Not just how has the church survived, but in many instances, in most cases, how has the church thrived for 2,000 plus years? I mean, was what happened on the day of Pentecost enough to make the church just keep going for 2,000 years? Was it just the baptism and the infilling and the descending of the Holy Spirit? Was it just the teaching of the apostles and the birth of their ministry that got us to this place? How has the church made it for 2,000 years to where you and I can be here today still celebrating Jesus the same way they did? How did that happen? I think the secret to that question, the answer to that question can be found in the first three words of verse 42. This is what it says in Acts 2.42. And they continued. Everybody say, and they continued. And they continued. What did they continue? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. I want to bring you a message this morning called To Be Continued. And the reason why I want to bring you this message is because we can learn something from Acts 2 and from this scripture. There's key elements. There are fundamentals of our faith that are given to us that will help us step into the fullness of everything God has for our lives. These are the things that will help us as a church to thrive even in uncertain times, in difficult seasons. There are key fundamentals, things that we can put into practice in our lives that if we, if we will keep these things up, we won't just be the church of Jesus Christ. We will hand off the church of Jesus Christ to the generations that are to follow us. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about these four things, and the message today is called to be continued. So it says in verse, in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. Let's talk about the first thing. They continued steadfastly, number one, in the apostles' doctrine. In the apostles' doctrine. Now you would know if you know your Bible well that the apostle Paul went on later in scripture, he talked about how we as Christians, we need to adhere to sound Doctrine. Other translations use the word teaching, the apostles' teaching. One of the things that's really interesting about this is that at the time of the early church, when 3,000 people made a decision to follow Jesus that day, all of these people already had a religious background. They knew of the Jewish traditions. They knew of the Old Testament scripture. So they already had a tradition. But now they've received Jesus. They've accepted his sacrifice, his crucifixion. They've accepted his resurrection and said, I want to be a follower of Christ. They've become baptized. And now they are walking into a new way. They're stepping into a new way. 
Now, if you are walking into something new, what is it that you need to learn? Who is it that you need to learn it from? Well, the Bible says that they followed and adhered to the apostles' doctrine. Why is that important? Because the apostles had been with Jesus. And if you want to learn a new way, then you need to learn the way of the people who had spent that time with Jesus. The apostles were the ones who were going to carry on the ministry of Jesus and carry on the legacy of Jesus. And it was so important that if these people wanted to walk in the same way that God had for their life, following Jesus, that they listen to the teachings of the people who had been with Jesus. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Who are you listening to? Who are you allowing to be a voice in your life? Who are the voices that you've allowed to be the prominent voices in your life? Because there's one voice that should stand out above every other voice, and that's the voice of God that we find from scriptures through the speaking to us from the Holy Spirit and that we see recorded by the apostles' teachings. We can understand who Jesus was, how it is that we can become more like him and adhere to that if we want to achieve ultimate success in God's plan for our life. We can find it through adhering to the apostles' doctrine. Now, what was the apostles' doctrine? Well, it's pretty simple. Peter actually just laid it out for everybody. Let me read it to you one more time. Acts 2, verse 36. Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus. Peter's preaching Jesus. That is the foundation of all sound doctrine. Whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Look at verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. So he preaches Jesus, salvation, and repentance. Then he goes on to talk about baptism and the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, my friends, the foundation of sound doctrine is all found right there. That's everything that you and I are to build our lives upon. However, the thing that's fascinating about this is that for many of us as Christians, sometimes we tend to take little niche doctrines or little details of things that are wrapped up in our salvation, and we tend to build our entire life around little details of doctrine. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. The Apostle Paul went on and had some really interesting things to say about this. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. What Paul's saying here is that our faith should only be in the power of God, the doctrine of Christ crucified, risen from the dead, repentance, salvation, and the Holy Spirit. That is the basis of our doctrine. Anything that goes in any other direction is not what God has for our lives. God wants to use people to speak faith into your life. He wants to use people to speak words of, of encouragement into your life. But have you ever had somebody come up to you and say something that was a little bit strange and you thought, where in the world did that come from? Anything that anybody ever shares with us that we look at as doctrine, we have to go back to the word of God and say, does this line up with what God said? Does this line up with what the apostles say? Why? Because the apostles wrote the entire New Testament. These dudes had been with Jesus. We have to make sure that everything we're listening to, the voices that we're taking in, the voices that we're consuming and, spe and who are speaking into our life, we have to make sure that everything lines up with the word of God in our life. And if it doesn't, we just let it slide right off our back. Because a lot of us are really good at taking little details of theology and building our entire belief system around it. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to say this at all to at all be mean-spirited, but 
you know, I think God gives greater revelations to all of us. I think God has a way of giving us revelations and sometimes using other people to show us more of who he is, to show us more of his truth, and, uh, you know, another angle of his truth in our lives. But, you know, sometimes we see movies about people that have dreams of what heaven will be like or somebody who's maybe died for a few moments before they were revived and they talk about a vision that they have of what, the, of what eternity looks like, what the, the next life is to look like. And some people will hear that and see that, and they'll build their entire faith around it. Oh, well, this is what heaven's going to be like because I saw this movie or I read this book. And I believe that God wants to give glimpses of things. But listen to what Scripture says. It says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has completely conceived everything that God has for us in eternity. I want to tell you something. If you want to get, keep your life on track and you want to walk with Jesus and discover everything that he has for you, just simply adhere to the apostles' teaching in the words of Jesus because that's going to take us where we need to go. And when Peter preached Christ crucified, when he preached repentance of sins, salvation, baptism, the Holy Spirit, everything that we need in this life, all of the accessories are wrapped up in our salvation. But sometimes what we do is we focus on the accessories rather than focusing on the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing. Everything you will need in this life will come to you through your salvation. So rather than going after other things and then accepting salvation as a side note, no, salvation is the main thing and all the blessings of God are wrapped up in the cross. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Paul said, I don't want to come to you in the wisdom of man. I want to come to you in the power of God because if it's all about preaching Christ and Christ crucified. That's what our whole faith is built upon. We need to make sure that every single thing we are taking in and living on and consuming in our life lines up with the word of God so that we can stay on track and step into everything that God has for our lives. Amen? Now let's look at the second thing. I want to show this to you real quick. In verse 42... It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Now, I don't know if we have that verse for the screen right now in verse 42, but grammatically speaking, this is what it says. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, comma. So it's all one complete thought. The apostles' doctrine and fellowship, comma. So it's all within the context of fellowship. We are to adhere to the apostles' doctrine within the context of a fellowship, that's the way that the original writings literally lay this out. Now, the word fellowship is kind of a funny word. And the reason why is because we don't use it very much outside of the church. If you're like a Lord of the Rings fan or something, then you know the word fellowship. But fellowship is kind of a Christianese, old school word that we only use in church. We don't use it that much outside of the church. And a lot of people, what we've done is we've taken this word fellowship, but there's actually a really beautiful thing. And we've tried to give it other names because it seems like there's got to be another name that's cooler than the word fellowship. And when you and I think about fellowship, what we usually think about is we think about hanging out in the foyer after church and shaking a few hands and saying hi to a few people, and that's fellowshipping. But fellowship is way, way, way more than that. Fellowship comes from this original word, word called koinonia. It's a Greek word. And if I was to try to explain it to you in another way, I would say that fellowship is more like an exchange. Fellowship is where you have something to offer me and I have something to offer you. See, so much of us, we've, so many of us, we've built our faith and our Christianity around everything that we receive, what we get out of our faith, what we get from God, what we get out of church. And so much of that faith is built upon get, 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 get. But the truth is God has not just called us to receive. God's called us to be givers, generous people. And here's the thing I want to point out to you. Within this exchange, this thing called fellowship, sometimes many of us neglect fellowship in our lives because we forget, we lose sight of the fact that we have something to offer other people. A lot of us come to church and the one thing we think about is, well, what does God have for me today? 
What's the worship team got for me today? What's the preacher got for me today? What are the people that are serving got for me today? When in reality, fellowship is so much more than that. It's not just what I get from other people. It's what I have to offer them as well. And you might not realize this today because you might feel like, you know what, I'm not that well-spoken. Man, I'm not extensively studied. I don't know the Bible from front to back. What is it that I would have to offer somebody else? Let me tell you something. God has put a whole lot of stuff inside of you that you have to offer to other people. Let me read a passage of Scripture. Maybe, maybe you'll know this passage, but I think this is going to help some people. This is Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing this later on. He says, Therefore, my beloved, excuse me, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now listen to this. Work out your own salvation. Everybody say work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. One more time. Everybody say work out. Say I work out. Your spouse is like, you do not work out. He says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but then he goes on to say, what are we working out? The thing that God is working in us. How many people believe that God is working in you right now? God wants to work in you right now. Do you know what your responsibility is with the thing that God is working in you right now? To work it out in other people. To work out your salvation. To work it out and walk it out with other people. God wants to work things inside of you that you can outwork in your life with other people. That's what fellowship is all about. You might not know it, but you have something inside of you to offer other people. And I want to ask you another question this morning. Who are you pouring your life into? Because if you're walking through life just looking for other people to pour into you and the church to pour into you and the preacher to pour into you and other people to consistently give, 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 I want to tell you something. God doesn't want you to just receive. He's got to put a lot of stuff inside of you that he wants you to give. He wants you to outwork what he's doing inside of you so that fellowship can take place, so the exchange can happen. I could go on today and just tell you about how amazing Pastor Corey and Amber are with our youth. Like, I feel like I've talked a lot about them lately, but one of the things that Pastor Corey has done with our youth, and you might not know this about our students, and maybe you have, you're a parent of a student. One of the things that's been happening in youth is he's been telling our students, he says, you know what's really significant in your life is your story. The story of what God has done in you is incredibly significant. And you might not feel like you can speak well. You might not feel like you can share Jesus with somebody else all that well. But the one thing you have going for you is the story of what God has done in your life. And he encourages them every single week. we got students that are standing up on Wednesday nights and preaching to the rest of the youth, telling them their story, and it's changing people's lives. Because here's the thing. You might not feel like you're able to. You might not feel qualified. You might not know your Bible from front to back. But let me tell you what you got. You got your story and the experience of what you've gone through, what God has done in your life might be the very thing that changes somebody else's life. And that's what happens in fellowship. It's the exchange. I don't just receive, but I give and I give and I give because God's got things that he wants me to give you and he's got things that he wants you to give me. That's what fellowship is. Let's not get stuck in this concept of fellowship saying, hi, how you doing, Dean? So good to see you this morning. Man, that was good fellowship we just had there. No, 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 no. There's so much more to it than that. So much more to it than that. And I want to ask you again, who are you pouring your life into? Because there's things that God has placed inside of you that he wants you to pour out into somebody else. It's the great exchange. It's this beautiful thing that the early church discovered called fellowship. Let's be people that are constantly in fellowship with one another so we're not just receiving, but we're giving. We're working out what God is working in. 
Now, number three, I want to show you this third thing. The third thing that they continued in. They continued in the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread. Now, that's something that doesn't sound very spiritual, the breaking of bread. A lot of times when you hear this taught, a lot of people will teach this, or you might have heard this taught as the breaking of bread signifying communion. But if you go back and you look at the words that we see throughout Scripture, this really isn't talking about that. It's not talking about the Lord's Supper. There's a specific word that we see in the New Testament. It's this word, Eucharista, which if you come from maybe a Catholic background or a Catholic tradition, you'd word, you might know the word Eucharist. And Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, some people think that that's what that's talking about, but we actually don't see that word there. We see two words, one word for breaking and one word for bread. You know what they're literally talking about? They're just talking about having a meal together. Now, how hard does that sound? You might say, now, why is that significant? Why should we do something like that? It doesn't sound very spiritual. Let me tell you why. Because a meal is something that is commonplace for all of us as human beings. I was thinking back to, to our Connect group last term. Ashley and I, we lead a Connect group that's uh, for families with young kids. And one of the things that's a lot of fun in our Connect group is just getting together with everybody and hanging out. It doesn't matter, like, we don't have, like, an age cutoff. We just do it for families with young kids. And we get together and hang out, and we always have fun. But when we first started, we were just trying to come up with creative ways to get everybody to interact. And so the first couple week, we, weeks, we'd play some games or, you know, do some different things to kind of just break the ice so that people would interact. But then a few weeks in, we decided to do something different. We said, you know what, we're just going to have family dinner. And our group went to a new level. Can I tell you why? It's because not everybody likes to play games. Not everybody has all the same common interests and hobbies. But you know what everybody likes? Everybody likes food. All the foodies? Anyone? They say a way to your heart is through your stomach. I'm not saying that the Bible says that. But what we see is that when we gather around tables, we have the opportunity to share something that all of humanity has in common. And oftentimes it's that thing that breaks the ice and gets us to where we need to go in order for our relationship to grow. Now this still might not sound that spiritual to some people, but I want to just lay this out for you really quick. Jesus is walking down the street one day. He's being surrounded by multitudes of people who want to get something from Jesus, sick people who want to be healed, people who are just trying to figure out, is this guy the Messiah? And as Jesus is walking down the road one day, he looks up and sees that there's a short guy on a tree who's climbed up there to see what's going on. And this guy was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And here's the thing. Everybody in that town hated that man. They hated him. Do not associate with that man. He's crooked. He's wrong. He's evil. He's a bad dude. Jesus, you don't associate with people like that because we know who he is. We know what he's done. What does Jesus say? Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. He has Zacchaeus come down. Next thing you know, Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house, hanging out with Zacchaeus and telling him who he is. This is what's so great about this. Can't you just picture Jesus sitting at Zacchaeus' table, breaking bread? The one thing nobody else would do, Jesus has the audacity to get down and just share some common humanity with this guy and figure out what's going on in his life. That's what breaking bread is all about. It doesn't sound spiritual, but oftentimes it's a catalyst for God to do even greater and deeper things in your life and in my life. It takes fellowship to a whole new level. It's interesting because... As you see this playing out, this idea of breaking bread, that it can be a catalyst, it makes me think about maybe people that I don't know very well, that I don't understand very well. And I just, I want to take just a moment, and I want to share from my heart just a minute about this subject. How many people know that we live in a pretty crazy day right now? Our nation is incredibly divided. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in our world that we're watching the news, it seems like day after day, and it's like, oh my gosh, can it get any worse? We don't understand it. Sometimes 
I found that when I watch TV, when I watch the news, when I read the internet and I see the different things that are happening, you have people with opposing, you know, opposing views, divided opinions, I look at it, and so often I tend to take the side of the people who are most like me. Anybody else agree with that? Can you relate to that? We tend to agree or stay on the same side as the people who are most like us. Why? Because we've walked in their shoes or they've walked in our shoes. But there's a lot of people out there who are going through really tough times and I've never walked in their shoes before. And I look at Jesus calling Zacchaeus down from that tree, say, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm ready to come to your house today. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other a little bit better. One of the things I love most about our church, look around, we are an incredibly diverse church. This is the most diverse church I've ever been in in my life. I grew up in a predominantly white, middle-class church setting. I grew up in a predominantly white, middle-class town with predominantly white, middle-class friends. That was like the norm for me. I know what it's like to walk in their shoes, and they know what it's like to walk in mine. And sometimes we get so comfortable in the people who are like us that we only see things one way, and we can't see it from somebody else's perspective because we've never walked in their shoes. And there was this amazing unity that was happening in the church that day. And I think one of the greatest reasons why is because there were people who were breaking bread together, sitting down and saying, you know what, you might come from a different place. You might have a different background. You might see things a little bit differently than I do. But let's sit down, let's break bread and see if we can't find some common ground. Because you want to know what each and every one of us have in common? Jesus. I'm a sinner that's desperately lost without him and so are you. And it doesn't matter what my socioeconomic background looks like. It doesn't matter what my cultural or ethnic background looks like. It doesn't matter what the color of my skin might look like. The truth of the matter is some of us need to sit down and break some bread with some people that are different than us so that we can understand what it's like to walk in their shoes and find a little bit of unity in a crazy country that we're living in right now. There was incredible unity in the early church. And don't sell this idea short. Breaking of bread and spending time together and finding a deeper level of fellowship had so much to do with the unity that was found in the early church. So much so that 2,000 years later, this thing still exists. Look at us. Multicultural, multicolored, multi-ethnic, coming from different backgrounds and different places, knowing little or maybe knowing a lot. Look at us. Here we are 2,000 years later, ladies and gentlemen, the church of Jesus Christ. I heard somewhere the other day that the church is the most segregated place in America because we tend to go to the place that looks like us. Well, look around today because this is what heaven's going to look like. And if you can only see, if you can't get outside of your limited perspective, then maybe it's time you broke bread with somebody who sees life a little different than you, who looks a little differently than you who sees the world a little differently than you because maybe we can find some common ground at a common thing that humanity has in common. We like to eat food and break bread. Maybe it's time you broke bread with that person that you don't understand. I really disagree with the things that that person puts on social media. They probably shouldn't put stupid things on social media to begin with. But, everybody laugh. But if people see things differently than you, then maybe it's time to break some bread and find common ground because we're the church, like it or not. We're going to move forward so we best find some unity. Amen? Amen. Amen. So break some bread with somebody this week. <laughs> and the final thing that we see here, i got to hurry, I'm running out of time, but the final thing that we see here is they devoted themselves to prayer. To prayer. final question I want to ask you today is what are you believing God for? What are you believing God for? 
Remember a few years ago, I heard one of my favorite preachers ask the question, or he made the statement. He said, I don't know where you come from. I don't know what your life looks like, but I can tell you what God is doing in your life right now without even knowing you. He said, God's doing whatever it is that you're believing him to do. Why? Because God responds to faith. There's a lot of us that have taken this idea and this concept of prayer, and we've just privatized it. We've made it all about 15 minutes that I have in the morning at my coffee table. We've made it about the time where I'm just walking around on my own time talking to me and God. But what's interesting about this passage of scripture is every single one of these four ingredients, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer, the context of this entire passage is not personal and it is not private. It is absolutely 100% public and corporate because these people did all of these things together. And you might have a need in your life right now and maybe you've never reached out to anybody to stand with you, to agree with you, to pray with you, and to speak faith into your situation. Did you know that right now you might be going through something that's bigger than you and you have no idea how you're going to get past it? And there could be five people in this church that have just been through it and they're just waiting for you to say, hey, would you come alongside me and pray with me? But do we have enough fellowship with people that we're walking in that relationship and we have the freedom to say, hey, would you stand with me? Would you pray with me? As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about this idea. And I was reminded of a few years ago in the church that Ashley and I were a part of for many years before we came out here. And there was these two women in our church. They both had sons that were really struggling in their walk with God. And these two moms would just earnestly cry out, God, like, bring my kids home. And they got to talking. And what they found out was that each of them were praying for the same thing. So what did they do? Well, you pray for my son and I'll pray for yours. And can I tell you today that this many years on, both of those guys are living for Jesus today. Listen, you might be going through something right now, and maybe you haven't asked anybody to stand with you. We talk about our prayer teams at the end of service every week, and you might just think of that as a token prayer, no different than when you ask for God to bless your food or when you put your kids down at night and you say, thank you for this day, amen. Maybe you just think of token prayers. Do you want to know why we have prayer teams? It's not just so that people can pray for you. It's so that people can pray with you. So that people can speak words of faith straight from the word of God into your situation. There are people here today who can give you wisdom from their experience about the very thing that you're going through right now. But we haven't stepped into a level of fellowship to where we can access it. There are people that need what you have. There are people who want to pray with you. There are people that you need to pray with. And I want to ask you again today, what are you praying for? What are you believing for? Because God wants to do amazing things, but one of the things we have to learn is that there is power in agreement. There's power in agreement. The very context of this passage is public prayer. You know, there's no great move of God that you can disassociate from prayer that went before it. If you want to see God move on your behalf, you know what our first action should be? To pray. When we look at the crazy things that are happening in the world in which we live, you want, we want to see God move amongst us and in our country. You know what we should do? We should pray. Before anything else, there's something about coming into agreement and saying, I'll pray with you, you pray with me. And because of the power of agreement, when two or three agree, it's done for us. Who's praying with you? Who are you praying with? And what do you believe in God for? Because I believe that God wants to do great things in your life. But he might just want to use somebody else to stand in agreement with you, speak faith into your life in order to see that happen. When we see this passage, what we see is that there's four amazing ingredients. These are like the fundamentals of our faith. The apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. If we can continue these things, we'll see our lives thrive. But not only that, we'll see the church of Jesus Christ thrive in such a way that it won't die with us. We'll hand it off to the next generation. 
That's what God wants us to do. But I look back and I, rec I recognize that the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, was a really amazing day. In closing this morning, I want to just say one last thing to you. Throughout the course of my life, especially since I started walking with God, one of the great lessons that I've learned is that life is made up of peaks and valleys. Valleys and peaks. You can't have a peak without a valley, because if you only live on the peak, you never figure out what a valley is or that a valley even exists. And it's interesting because a lot of us in our faith, we think about the good times, you know, the peak, the mountaintop seasons. That's when things are going good. I feel good in my relationship with God. It feels like I got, I'm on top of the world. I got the world by the tail. My kids are doing good. I'm making good money. There's money in the bank. I'm successful in my job. It seems like those are the peak mountaintop experiences of our life. And you got to understand that the day of Pentecost was an absolute peak mountaintop experience. The Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 people say yes to Jesus, and suddenly the church is born. And people who would come on and believe in Jesus later on, sure, they would get to experience that Pentecost and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting is that in order for the church to survive 2,000 years later, what we don't see in Scripture is the next day the apostles got together and tried to recreate Pentecost and tried to do it all over again and tried to drum up that good old feeling the way that it felt yesterday. And we don't see that happening over and over. Sure, we see new believers experiencing Pentecost, but in order for the church to maintain and survive and to thrive, what did it take? And they continued. There's going to be mountaintop peak experiences in our life where the goosebumps and the chills are just all over us. And we feel like, woo, God is in the middle of this thing. But the next thing we know, we're going to find ourselves in the middle of a valley and we need to be prepared to survive the valley. And how do we do it? And they continued. I'll never forget a few years ago, I had a friend, a guy that was a real close friend of mine that played such an instrumental role in my life. When I decided to get serious with God, he welcomed me into church. He kept inviting me back. I went back because of him and some of my other friends. I'll never forget having coffee with him a few years later. And he felt like he was in this valley season of his life. And he said, Zach, I just feel like I'm in a valley right now. I said, well, what's wrong? He goes, I just don't feel like I'm on fire for God anymore. What I soon discovered was that for him to be on fire for God was I have to have that goosebump experience. I have to go back and feel the way it felt all that time ago, like the first time I encountered God. In other words, he wanted his faith to be defined by living on mountaintops. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We're not going to live our entire life on mountaintops. Sometimes we're going to walk through valleys. But the only way that we survive the valleys is if we take the thing that God gave us on the mountaintop and we learn to thrive in the valleys. Because life isn't always made of mountaintop experiences. That's why in Acts chapter 2, we have the four fundamentals of things that are to be continued, that if we carry them on, our lives will thrive. We'll discover our purpose, and we'll see the world changed for the good, and we'll hand on the church of Jesus Christ to the next generation. And they continued. And the apostles' teaching, the word of God, and fellowship, the exchange with one another, the breaking of bread. Hey, let's pour into each other. Let's see if we can find some unity and some common ground. And in prayer, what can I agree with you about? I need you to agree with me about this. That's how they survived. That's how they thrived. And that's how we find ourselves here today, gathered right now in this very moment, the church of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for us to do, to continue in those things. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your head? We're almost done this morning. 
So I ask everybody to just hang tight, be still for just a few more minutes until service is over. If you're here this morning and maybe you feel like you're far from God, maybe you feel like you're not walking in a relationship with God, the Bible says that there's this thing that's separated us from God. It's this thing called sin. It's a part of the human condition. It's something that all of us have had to deal with. The book of Romans says that all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. We've missed the mark. We've missed out on God's perfection because of our sin. But we know that God loved us so much that he made a way that we could be reunited with him when he sent Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life, and when he didn't deserve death, went to the cross and paid the price, took the death that you and I deserved for our sins. But he didn't stop there because three days later, God raised him from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave so that you and I wouldn't have to deal with it in eternity. The Bible says that we can come into a relationship with God by saying yes to Jesus, the one whom he sent, by accepting him, by believing in our heart, by confessing with our mouth, choosing repentance, a better way to walk in another, another direction. I would love to lead you in a prayer this morning if you'd like to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. You might even be here today and you say, Zach, I'm far from God and I need to recommit my life, recommit my ways to him. I want to tell you that he's standing here today with open arms, ready to welcome you home. We're all going to pray a prayer together here in just a moment. If you'd like to get in on that, if you want to mean it with everything inside of you, I want to ask you if you would repeat these words because we're going to pray as a congregation. We're not going to put you on the spot, just going to ask you to pray a simple prayer and mean it with everything inside of you. So if that's you and you want to do it, we're all going to pray together. And I would ask if you would repeat these words and say, dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I thank you for paying a price that I couldn't afford. I thank you for rising from the dead, conquering death for me. So today I choose you as my savior and I make you the Lord of my life. I wanna walk with you, I wanna learn your ways and today, I want everything to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, just a few more minutes left in our service, but I want to take a minute and I want to just say something that's as important as anything else we'll do today. So out of respect for everybody, just hang tight if you would till the end of service because I want to share this with you. If you're here today and you made a decision to follow Jesus, we just want to help you in any way that we can. We don't want to do anything that's for our benefit. We just want to help you. We would love to give you a free gift. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a small book that we want to put in your hand. You can get it two different ways. After service, there'll be prayer teams right down front. If there's something going on in your life and you want someone to pray with you, just come up and say, hey, I made a decision today when we prayed that prayer. I want to get the book. And if you would pray with me, they're happy to pray with you about anything that's going on. Happy to stand with you. If you need to go quickly, please stop by the Connection Center. That's the big circle out in the middle of the foyer. Let them know today I made a decision when we prayed that prayer and I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you. If we can help you, if we can answer any of your questions, tell you more about the church and help you get plugged into stuff that's going on, man, we'd love to do that. But above all else, we just want to help you start walking with God. So for everybody here that's a believer already, can we put our hands together this morning and welcome people into God's family?